Today's episode is in English. El episodio de hoy de Gestoras es en inglés. Pueden leer una transcripción en español en nuestro sitio web o pueden ver el episodio en YouTube con subtítulos en español. This brings you conversations with cultural managers from the North and the South. We celebrate the work sharing their stories of success, challenges, and lessons learned. The episodes alternate between Spanish and English. Petrona Shemita Pepechun is a Nahuatl trans woman from Cusnatan, the land known internationally as El Salvador. She's a playwright, spoken word artist, a published author, and the founder and artistic director of Angel Rose Collective in Washington, D.C. This was our conversation. Yektanetsuk, Shemi. I hope I got it right. <laughs> Welcome to Hithoras and thank you for making the time to be with us today. It's really a pleasure to have you in the program. Adios, Yektanetsuk, Naonetugai Petrona Shemi, Wanusuntugai Tatepechul, Miulpagi Ninemini Nusan. Hello, my name is Petrona Shemi Tatepechul and I'm very happy to be here as well. Um, I think that there's a combination of things. I think there's a, a biological aspect to it and a social aspect to it. I think like most things, um, for me, my story begins in El Salvador. I was born in San Salvador, um, and my family was living in an area called Mexicanos. Um, from my own family research, um, and from talking with family members, I've learned that my grandparents, they weren't from San Salvador, most of my grandparents weren't from San Salvador, but they come from other villages, and that their themselves and their ancestors were carpenters and domestic servants and um, um, weavers and seamstresses. And so um, for me, uh, in growing up, um, I, here in the United States, I grew up here in the United States, and learning about music and learning about theater and um, playing instruments, I, um, I started to connect the two things together. Um, I realized that even though I do have like theater training and um, I, I have gone through that, like somewhat of that academic aspect of it, I, it's in my biology. My ancestors were artists in their own way. Um, they were Um, carpenters and weavers and they created stuff with their hands um, and I, I, I learned to do that um, through my own practice and also through the studies that I've learned like the like in the white colonial education system um, and so I, I think that who I am today and all these different aspects of my artistic identities Um, are because of the experiences that my ancestors had and also the experiences that um, I had to live through. Um, I went to a school that, well, after, after when I went, um, I grew up in Virginia. <clears throat> um, 
that's quite a shift. That's quite a shift <laughs> in Southern Virginia's. Yes, it's a really big shift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And growing up in Virginia, I um, there was not a lot of opportunities for like being uh, successful or whatever because there was always like some some deterrent, like the language or um, um, like the race or um, just like the the economic opportunities that exist for like the the, the, the adults have and so those affect mm-hmm. the kids as well um, and so growing from those experiences I I found that like once I once I graduated from high school I wasn't able to go up to, to university like everybody all like all the white kids that I graduated with were able to go off to school mm-hmm. um, I had to go to community college um, I had to stay local and I had to pay for it myself um, and so um, after I decided to go to acting school, I decided that I wanted to go to DC because it was nearby and it was the most affordable place that I could go. Um, and DC is such a cool theater town too. There's so many theater folks around here. That's true, that's true. And the school was a predominantly black school. The students were pre- like, the, the student body was predominantly black, but the student, the teacher, the teacher the staff was mostly white people mostly white men um and so that dynamic was really uh it was really um, i'll I'll just call it interesting um because um the i was able to learn with other people who were going to experience similar things to me after we graduated and we were all kind of put into that um into like a a box together and we were all we were all working there together like that and so one thing that i really learned from from my theater experience was to produce my own art um, because other people were going to judge me just by who i who my who i am before they even get to see what i can do and um that was a really big thing that i learned in acting school um, and so as soon as I finished, I finished acting school, I started um, working with people who had similar experiences where they, um, you know, they were, uh, you know, a person of color or they were queer or whatever their experiences were coming in. They were having difficulty in even community theater, getting into community theater. Um, and so that's where my my company began. Um, we had a different name then, and our, the name has developed a lot throughout the years. But we've been, I've been producing um, consistently, consistently. I've been producing my own work for ten years now. And that is Angel. That's the Angel Rose Collective. Mm-hmm. The Angel Rose Artist Collective. Yes. Um, it's been a really uh, tough road developing that. Um, the, the company's identity because it is also like the company's um it's also changed its, its dynamics um and now like we 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 focus on these stories of of trans native people um and we also hire bipoc individuals to be a part of our things so that it is not just us getting getting work for ourselves or creating work for ourselves but also creating work for uh all of our community members that are also struggling in this mm. in this um kind of 
white supremacist and cis sexist uh, uh, um, industry that we that we um, that we are trying to work in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It looks like a lot of your work is based, a lot of your, your artistic identity and production is based on the word, right? The import, the, so, so other people, it's the image, right? Through, or it's the nose. And for you, it's words, it's the poetry, the playwriting, the producing of plays. The language is really important to you. It's... Yes. I, yeah. Um, I haven't really thought about it that way. I, I think for me as a, I became a playwright out of necessity, um, out of um, like a need to tell stories, because um, I I want to say that at my core, I'm an actor. Mm. Um, that's what I love to do. That's what I thrive in. Um, I I do love having a company and being able to like produce things and being. But the reason that I do that is because I need to work. I, I need to get that acting out. Um, and if other people are not hiring me, then I have to create something myself. And if that creates opportunities for other people to also, that also are experiencing similar things, I think it's just like a, it's a win-win for me. Um, but, the, but the running of the company and writing the plays and, um, getting all the people together, that's the part that I'm, I don't like that part. <laughs> I, I, I like to, I like to get the, the script and I like for somebody to tell me like, you're doing it, you, you should, you should, like, after I show them what I can do, they should be like, oh, you can move it this way, do that way. I like working with directors and, um, I, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a tough line for me because I know that people enjoy the stories that I write and they have a big impact in, in some people's lives and I think that like it's good but at the same time like I would I I I I don't want it to be the shemi show you know and so I I think it's important for there to be um um other other people that are writing. And it's hard because um, there's not a lot of opportunities that are given for people to be able to develop that work and to be able to um, even like even have an opportunity to do something. Um, I was really fortunate that in 2021, the Kennedy Center gave me a residency um, in one of their spaces for an entire week where I was able to just, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I only wrote two scenes in one week. And, and it wasn't because like, mm. like I was being lazy or because we weren't doing any work. It was because really important conversations were happening. Um, not just, not just in regards to like writing or like in regards to the scene work, but in regards to how do you work with specific artists, with specific identities and how do you make this, how do you make it so that yeah. they can even be in this space? How do you make it so that they can even um, give their full selves in 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 a part in a conversation, um, and accessibility being you know um, something that some ex questions about accessibility um, that we had that week um, were really important. Um, it's something that I already knew, but it's it's also something that like 
institutions like the Kennedy Center and um, people who are providing funding for um, the 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 work that people are the people in the community the grassroots people are doing in the community these institutions that are providing these so-called access yeah. for for people to be in the space what does access actually mean if you know you invite a group of people that are doing a show with a deaf person a deaf person of color and then they invite interpreters that are white people um, and it just changes the balance of the space it changes the dynamic of how that deaf person of color can interact with the with the um with the group and how they are how their you know their voice is being interpreted in into the space and so it was a really big um uh, uh, uh it was really important work that was happening there that it had nothing to do with like us getting something a show up and going it had more to do with like getting our artists um in the right place to even begin that work. Um, so yeah, all these conversations, I think that like, when you are a person of color, when you're an indigenous person, when you're a black person, and you're working in predominantly white institutions, you, you an activist is kind of like what you have to be in order to be able to, but I think also like, there's the intentionality um, of, of, of like being an activist that needs to um, that happens as well, um, which is not something that all BIPOC individuals do in, in, in workspaces because some people just want to be able to survive and just be able to thrive and um, without having to disturb the, you know, the institution. Um, and so everybody has their own experience and their own story. So, and, and I respect that. But for me, it's, I, I, I have never been allowed into those institutions. I've never been allowed into mm. those spaces to be able to even to even to be able to even be like to even have that opportunity to to not speak up i've had always had to say something because otherwise i wouldn't be able to do the work that i want to do if, if i wouldn't have if we wouldn't have said anything as a community to the kennedy center that in that week that we were there uh, to be able to get black interpreters into the room and interpreters of color into the room then we wouldn't have been able to produce the even those two just, scenes that that we did. We weren't we wouldn't have been able to do those things because the people weren't wouldn't be history um, that coming as their full selves. And so, um, yeah, uh, it's important it's important to to do that kind of stuff and the intersection of art and activism for for a lot of BIPOC producers especially is like. Not. Yeah, you can't you can't separate them because the the, the 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 environment just forces you into either you withdraw, right, and you pack up and you say, okay, I'm not gonna not even gonna try, or you, by if you want to do anything, you have to become that activist. And I'm also interested what in something you said about the, specifically around the issue of the black interpreters for the show versus the white interpreters. It seems that sometimes in predominantly white institutions, the 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 way that they look at accessibility. And that the way that they look at inclusion is absolutely not intersectional, right? There's a hierarchy of access, right? So in the case of if we need a deaf interpreter, just thinking, oh, we need a deaf interpreter without thinking about all the other um, intersections that would have mattered in that. Sense. And then it's almost as bad or if not worse than not having done anything at all. Mm, yeah, there's a, um, an impact on the person. Um my spouse wrote this poem a couple of years ago that um, had to do more with like ceremony, but um, it's like when, 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 when 
let's say like colonizer people <laughs> come and be like, oh, do the ceremony for me, do the ceremony for me. And as a native person, you go and you do it for them and you might get paid to do it for them. But then afterwards, you are healing from that experience far long after that money's been spent, that money's gone, and far long after those people that received that blessing or that um, experience have moved far beyond that experience. And so um, the, the trauma that comes with being in those types of spaces um, um, and the, even though there is like inclusion or there's you know, some, some financial some financial uh, something that's given to you. Sure, there's still the impact afterwards that you have to like think about and positions of leadership and advocacy and leadership and well leadership in anything they come at a price too, right? They come at a they come at a cost. So um, uh, you are <laughs> uh, well. You said you were forced into activism in a way, right? And forced into managing a theater company because you had to create it in order to be able to act and have people um, who did would not otherwise have the opportunity to be able to act. But but it looks like to me like you also seek out opportunities or, or ways to leave. So you're so you founded the school, right? Could you teach in Nahuatl? And uh, see, I'm going to say this. Uh, uh, I'm going to try to say this correctly. See Wayul as well. So it looks like leadership is something that you can't help doing, uh, Shemi. Talk to me a little bit about your the language school and about Siwayul. Um, what's that about? Sure. Um, so I started learning Nahuatl um, as a, se a second language about about ten years ago. About the same time that I began the company. Um, and one of the things that I, you know, living in the United States now, just for a little bit of a context, Nahuatl is from Western El Salvador, um, and there's only about a hundred first language speakers left in the world, um, and they all live in. Most of them live in one village in in, in El Salvador, in a, in a village called Santo Domingo de Guzman. Um, and there, there's about like fifty-five or something like that. There's not very many speakers that are left alive today. <clears throat> and so, about ten years ago, um, there weren't a lot of people that were like. I mean, there. There was a lot of people that were that were interested in the language, but not a lot of people that were like mm -hmm. investing themselves into learning and all that stuff. Um, and because most people were scattered all over the world, they were um, in El Salvador or wherever. They were just connecting via mm -hmm. Facebook um, or via other online means. In El Salvador, there was some development like to to get people into physical classrooms, and well. Obviously, being in the United States, you can't do that. And so, what do you have? You have you have music that people have put online um, on YouTube. So that's what I learned. That's where I started learning. Um, now, I um, there was elders that got their music recorded. They were put it online. People would subtitle them. And so then I, I started listening to the music, listening to that. Um, and then I um, I met an elder here in D.C who was part of a, um, a, a group called the National Association of Indigenous Salvadorans, or ANIS for, uh, for in, in Spanish, La Asociación Nacional Indígena Salvadoreña. And um, ANIS is based in El Salvador, but has a chapter here in the DC metropolitan area. And um, he gave me this book, about maybe like 30 page um, pamphlet book of uh, it was called Tiwatigang Nawat, which means let's learn Nawat. Um, and 
I went through that book, I listened to the music, I went through the book, listened to the music, and I began to develop some skills in in speaking Nahuatl. And so then I started writing down what I already knew, um, and I started to think myself like, okay, I'm a child, and I want to learn Nahuatl, what way can I learn Nahuatl? And so then I started writing my first kids play in Nahuatl, or with Nahuatl, um, starting writing music in Nahuatl. Um, and then eventually, um, I, um, so I had, I had some friends that, um, I had some friends that were encouraging me to, um, write poetry, to write, um, how, like the things that I go through, um, cause I had one poem here, one poem there. And, um, eventually I wrote a whole book of poetry and I, and I decided to, um, publish it. I was actually, I had left, I was living in New Jersey at the time. Um, and I left because I, it was a really bad experience. So I left. And, um, when I came back to the DMV area, to the DC metropolitan area, I had to, um, it was, it was actually a time when I was going through a social transition. So before I identified as a non-binary person and during that time period, when I came back from New York, I had, um, well, a couple of, probably like a year prior to that, I began a social transition um, as a trans woman. And when I came, when I went to New Jersey um, and I had to come back, I didn't have a place to live. So I had to go live with my parents and they, um, I grew up in a, um, in a Pentecostal Christian home. And so you can imagine what my parents would say to having a trans child. And so when I, whenever I would go home, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I, I had to change how I dressed. Um, and, um, it was a time period where I, um, had to, um, you know, trans men wear binders. I wore binders a lot during that time period because my parents began asking me about like my chest and they began asking me about like my skin. They began asking me about my hair. They began asking me about all these questions about like how my body was changing because of like, um, because what was right. happening was the hormones were changing my body. And so they, um, they had a lot of questions. So I had to basically like assimilate. I'm not sure what the question, what the word is in. In, what the word is in English. Though. In essence, act. You were mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm basically hiding. Yeah, I was acting. Yeah. And so um, whenever I could, I would I would mm-hmm. go to D.C. and just be, be you. Yeah. you know, be happy there. And eventually I met my, 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 um, the person who eventually became my spouse now, um, who um, mm-hmm. um, we have a child together now. Um, but I, uh, um, I met them and um, we moved to West Virginia together because they were living there on this really big plot of land with other trans people. And um, while I was there, I wrote my second book of poetry um, and I decided to publish both of them. I think while I was, in, while I was living in West Virginia, um, one of them was nominated for a Lambda Literary Award um, the second one was nominated for Lionel Literature and Bisexual Poetry. And I just, I began to feel like, oh, maybe I'm a writer. <laughs> if, if, if people are, are seeing me as a writer, maybe I am a writer. And so 
I decided that I wanted to combine mm, poetry and Nawa together. Um, and so that's where Siwayul came from. Siwayul is a, um, it's a one woman show uh, centering poetry um, and um, the Nahuatl language. It, it features this this girl, this young girl who um, is kicked out of her house and she's just traveling the world on her own, guided by her ancestors. And the, the, the and she's studying the Nahuatl language, and her ancestors talk to her um, as she's doing that. Um, the character of La Siwanahuatl, La Siwanahuatl comes out, um, and she's part of the uh, one of the ancestors that. Um, they guide her through her process. Um, and we, I was able to develop that show through several years. I had a reading of it um, one year, and then eventually we had a, um, a full staging of it in 2019 at the Capitol Hill Arts Workshop um, in um, Southwest DC. Um, and it was a really great experience to be able to share what some people called an autobiographical story. To me, it wasn't. Um, to me, it was um, sharing parts of myself, parts of my life, but through this narrative of this, of this, of this child um, who, um, who, was a, who was a trans girl. Um, and personally, I, I, don't, I don't think that I had a girlhood. I don't think that I had like a childhood where, where I was a girl. And so that's where kind of like my my identity shifts differently from the identity of the character. Um, and so I, uh, I don't see it as an autobiographical story, but it is, uh, I think it is a story that some, a lot of people will like, will be impacted by because um, um, it's, it's, um, it shares really uh, impactful things that are happening to the trans community today. Um, and also, it intersects with the uh, with with a, with what a lot of Salvadoran people are going through, um, because because a lot of the communities in El Salvador went through a uh, a a um, a series of Latinidad in the last two hundred years since independence. Um, a lot of people have only are only a couple generations cut from Nahuatl language or from their other languages, or even from identity of, of being indigenous. Um, it's only a couple of generations that people have began to identify mm -hmm. as Ladina or Ladino um, instead of, instead of indigenous. And so, um, a lot of people in the Salvadoran community, a lot of Ladino people are, are trying to reconnect with their um, ancestral identities. Um, and so um, personally for me, I, I've always been I, indigenous. I've always, my, my mom has always dressed this way. Um, and so I've never had to think about being indigenous mm -hmm. or not. Um, but I do know that like that's not the experience that every Salvadoran has, and that um, it's actually a, a very mi minute experience, Some... a very minority experience, um, and that most people are going through a process. I'll even say like even I'm going through a process of reconnection because right. I've only been learning now for ten years now, and even though I'm fluent in now, um, it's something that my mom doesn't know, and my grandma didn't, my grandmas didn't know, and so it's. Um, 
it's been a couple of generations that it's also been lost in my family. So it's, it is, I think for a lot of people, um, even people that are connected, it is a series of reconnection. Um, and so the play was also talking on that, on that topic of how do you, how does a, how does a trans woman who's a trans girl that's been kicked out of her home have a reconnection with a fam with family that yeah. doesn't even want her? Yeah. Um, and so it, um, it, it's just a reminder that like, like that ancestors and family are, even though ancestors are family from the past, ancestors and family have different contexts of, of who you are as an individual. And so if your family members are not accepting of you, that doesn't mean that your ancestors weren't or that um, they wouldn't. It just means that the people that you know are around you today are not are not caught up with you. It sounds like going, you know, you were talking about some of your ancestors being a textile workers, weavers, right? And it sounds like what you're you're doing is making new cloth mm -hmm. out of the strands, right? There's a rip in this in this mm -hmm. piece of textile um, where the language was lost, where these customs were lost, where. Uh, people in your in your in your ancestry who would have definitely resonated with you and connected with you that was lost and you're taking that and, and weaving it back together you've, you've talked a lot about how your identities your different identities um, influence your work your artistic practice I'm interested to see how they show up in the in what you hate <laughs> in the producing and the managing or the, the part that you like less how do how do your identities show up in the way for example that you work with actors that you run your company uh, that you organize, how do they come in? <clears throat> um, I, 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 in regards to the way that mm, I work as a producer with people that are outside the community, um, it, it oftentimes is, it, it's, it's on this level of like, oh, well, we need this yeah. diverse diverse individual or we need like this group of people that tokenization, uh, yeah. uh, tokenization essentially or there's a sense of like well we can't have these people because they're going to change our dynamic or they're going to make questions on our politic or uh, they're going to be near our children or whatever whatever discriminatory thing they might be thinking um we get those two things um and we've We've had a really big difficulty with finding spaces and um, being able to um, produce work because of these types of discriminations that people or these biases that people have about our community. Um, and, and you know, personally, you know, we we all have biases. I have I have my own biases about um, mm. even like. Latino people because like mm -hmm. I personally don't identify as Latina I because I, that for me it's an identity that uh it's a it's a it's an it's for lack of a better term it's a U.S. identity or an American identity it has nothing to do with me being born in El Salvador mm -hmm. me being from an indigenous family it has nothing to do with um with who I am it's just an imposition of of right of my being um and it, it it also like it has such yeah. a tie to the term ladina latino latina latina ladino it's like mm -hmm. the, the same word just one letter different and to me 
when when people try to like force mm-hmm. that identity onto me, I don't like it because I don't think that it's mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's for everybody. Um, I think many times when when we're doing production, when we're producing work, people always ask us if we want to work with them to leave some identities off the table, um, to mm-hmm. to to where we meet them to not to not be this or to not be that. Um, and maybe they don't always ask it directly, but it's, you know, kind of like talking about like the access that we were just talking about. If they, if the space is created so that these identities can't come into the space, then yeah, it's like, it's almost as though the person is saying, don't bring that identity into the space. Um, and I found I find that like many times when we are trying to do work in spaces that is not um, that's not run by a community member or somebody that we know, it it's it it becomes very much like us teaching them how mm-hmm. to treat us or how to mm-hmm. how to host us, which is not something that is like we don't. It's not something that we consent to, essentially. Like, it's not something that, like... It's not what you signed up for. Right, exactly. Exactly, exactly. And so, um, uh, we tried... I, I, I try to work with as many people as possible. Um, but it's it, it also, like, people don't want to work with us because of... Because I think it's... I think the, one thing that I've received one time that somebody said... Uh, I won't say who they are or anything. I'll just say that there was a, this is a cis person of color. Um, they said to me, we don't want to invite your group to participate because I don't think that the pay is high enough. You deserve more pay. And that might sound great to, to some people, but when you take away a person's agency on deciding whether or not it's enough pay, then you are taking away opportunities. Um, and, um, you know, people, people do this all the time in different ways where they think that they're helping by not including because we're helping you dodge a bullet or we're helping you not experience discrimination. Um, but what it is, is like keeping people from opportunities. The end, the end result is the same, right? The end result is that you don't have the opportunity and the end result is that you're not included. Yeah. Exactly. And like people work for visibility all the time and people have no problem asking, you know, so and so and so and so for 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 just for visibility work. Um, and and I mean I respect the fact that people are not just gonna be asking trans people to work for free and that people want trans people to be able to be paid, but at the same time, like agency is important too that's a decision live with sit with you and not with a savior who who may have your best interest at heart mm-hmm. but is not informed enough to know what the choices are or or, or it's not their job right to make exactly. the decision for you it's not their job mm-hmm. how how did you learn to how did your leadership come um to you how did you learn how to lead or was it something that you always had inside you um i think that like working with other people um other I'll, I'll just speak from from experience of like the company when working with other other artists 
I often feel as though like I'm the one that has a lot of experience mm. because I went to acting school. Um, and I went to a school that taught you about producing your own work. And so I'm, I'm already, I already feel empowered to do these things, even though like I, I'm a little like reserved sometimes and I'm, um, an extrovert. Um, I already feel empowered by my past experiences, but not everybody has those experiences. And so when they're coming into, um, a space where this is different than other professional theater companies because professional other professional theater companies they seek out everybody and they bring any like they bring people from all different um, identities and cultures in to do work together um, and they pick as you know as sometimes what they say like the best of the best um, but when your company is centered around trans indigenous bipoc experiences then the people that come are the people that have those identities. And um, that doesn't always mean that they come with all of the experience that other people come. It doesn't mean that they come with all of the, um, even the money or the home or um, all the different things that other people might have. And so um, working with people and myself, I've experienced homelessness a lot in my, in, in, in these past 10 years of my art, um, other people have also been experiencing right. that. And so being able to learn how to be compassionate with people and um, being compassionate with yourself too, I think it, it, it's a, uh, for me, it's been a big process of, uh, and I think I'm still learning on how to be, how to mm -hmm. be, you know, a leader um, uh, of, oh, it's a big a process of, of gaining little little nuggets of information from one person and another person and another person that that have gotten me to the point where I feel comfortable working with different types of people um, and um, not not out not speaking for people from identities that I don't hold but advocating for them from my own identities so that they can be in the space as well um, and it's been it's been a big challenge. Even like in the last last three months, I've learned a lot of new things about how to react because I, you know, I I go to therapy. I mean, I'm I'm you know I'm a I have a healthy mental health uh, relation. I have a healthy relationship with my own mental health. I go to therapy. I um I and I know that like my communication is, is in need of a lot of work. Um, and that I oftentimes, because I come from these experiences that I lead with defense. And so that comes into play in, in interpersonal relationships and in, in, as a, as a yeah. art, you know, manager. Um, and I, and I have to learn to be compassionate and be compassionate with other myself and with other people. Um, and so, um, yeah, even in the last three months, I've, I've, I've learned that like, sometimes the, sometimes it's not a, how do I say that? It's not like, no matter how much money you've invested as a company or as, you know, as an organizer, no matter how much time or whatever, if the people are not good, if they're not physically good, mentally good, spiritually good, then the art is not going to be good. And so there's nothing wrong with putting a pause on your schedule 
Um, and um, maybe maybe for some big companies, it is mm-hmm. like, oh, it's thousands of dollars of lost revenue. But at the end of the day, like the relationships with the people is more important than the money that might come from the art that's been produced with those people. And so it's a big, it's a big, it's a big thing. The, the quality of the art also, but the sustainability of, of the work, right? If people are, feel taken care of, they feel like they belong, but not, in, not, not that they belong in the sense that they're imprisoned in the job, but that they belong in the sense that they, that they own it in some way and that it, that they receive something back from it that isn't just a salary or pay, but that there's care there on both sides. It, it makes things a lot more sustainable and gets you through some rougher patches as well. So you're, you're talking about your own learning, your own learning progress as a, as a human being, not just as a leader. And I'm sure that um, because of the position you've, you've taken, that there are people who come to you for advice or that you mentor. If you were to encounter your younger self today or um, one of these younger people or newer people comes to you, maybe not younger, but newer people to the space comes to you, what what advice do you give them? What is something that you would want either your younger self to know or you want them to know? Mm. I it I think personally for me it's a little bit hard to think of myself as like an older person. Um Sometimes it's not about age or even experience. Um, a lot of times it's about, um, it's not always about, it's sometimes about access too. Like um, even even though I am 33 years old, I, um, you know, I have a child, I'm married. I, you know, it looks like I have my life together, but that doesn't mean that I have the same type of resources that somebody who went, who has a bachelor's degree, who just graduated from university, and who just landed, who's been, have, who's had a job in government or has had a job in a nonprofit, um, you know, I might be older than them. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I think that like, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to sound patronizing to people, like uh, just because they're 10 years younger than me. Um, I think that, I think that I, I feel good with giving advice to like youth but not to adults. I think that adults have their own agency. They have their own, um, they have their own responsibility. They have their own, um, they should be held accountable for their own actions. Um, and um, I think that like something that people people say all the time, like, don't meet your, <laughs> May have your best interest at heart, but whatever. what the choices um, are, or, or in like I, I I get that like but uh, we all gotta remember like people are human beings everybody's going through something everybody's moving through the world everybody's learning also and so to have this to put put he, to put this identity of hero onto somebody else um I think it's it's non-realistic and it's to put expectations that somebody didn't consent to um I personally <laughs> I have. I don't, I don't want, I get that people see me as a role model or whatever, but I don't, um, I don't accept that, that identity because I, um, I, I'm, I'm doing it from the thing, the work that I do is for my baby, you know, for my child. And so, 
um, I want to be a role model for my child, and I don't want to, and and mm. and I know that they can hold me accountable to that. They can hold me accountable to being a good role model, but other people cannot because they they're not invested in my day to day life, and they're not. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I I think mentorships are good. I, I think maybe I think I think a part <laughs> of my bitterness. <laughs> I think. Part of part of my part of my feeling around this is because I didn't have mentors. Um, um, I have I have people that I do look up to now in the last couple of years that I've uh, started looking up to, um, but that's because I see that they're doing work mm-hmm. that I admire and that that I um, that that I want to work with, you know. Um, but growing up, I didn't I I didn't have. I didn't have people that I didn't have in my mind like, okay, this is an actor that I want to be like, um, or this is a director that I want to be like, or this is whatever artist that I want to be like. Um, You couldn't see them, right? They they weren't there. You can't. Well, I think despite yourself, you have given advice. Basically, what I get, what I think, I think what I get out um, from this is don't be patronizing, be accountable, get yourself together in a non-patronizing way. So yeah, you've given their three pieces of advice. How do you, how do you feel about that? <laughs> but I think that for for youth, I think that for youth, um, what I would say t- to them is that um, it's a tough world that we're living in, and even if the person that you connect with is yourself. Find somebody to connect with, um, because yeah, it's 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 a long it's a long road ahead of you. Um, uh, it's a, it, life is is something that's gonna keep on moving. And if you don't have supportive parents, for instance, um, find somewhere that you do feel safe. Find somewhere that um, even if it's writing in your journal or singing songs to your creating songs to yourself, whatever, or learning a language, whatever it is that makes you feel. Um, connected to yourself, to your ancestors, um, do do the best you can to to keep pushing forward, um, regardless of what other people might tell you to do, or yeah. to feel, or to be. Um, That's a beautiful yeah. thought, right? To find a safe place, whatever that may be, and whatever size, doesn't have to be grandiose. Although it could be, it could be just a small thing. Whatever it is, it helps you make that connection. It's very beautiful. So you know uh, that we ask every one of our guests to leave a question for someone else. And we ask everyone to respond to a question someone else has left. So you ready for this? Okay. So the question I'm going to ask you was left by Victoria Sanchez, who is an orchestra conductor from Venezuela living in Mexico. And her question was, in three words, who are you? Um, in three words, um, I want to say that I am a student, I think I'm a lifelong student, um, I'm a caretaker, and I, I create, I'm a creator, and so um, yeah, I think I'm a creator. I'm a caretaker, and I am a and I'm a student. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think all three of those things are really important for for me to be able to 
continue um it's a big thing growing um um caring for people learning from people and 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 creating um i think i'll be doing that for the rest of my life what question would you like to leave for someone else ah this is a tough one i've been thinking about this um I guess my question is, how are you showing up for people who are not in the room? Um, and if you already are actively doing that in your day-to-day -day work, um, what are some ways that you can continue learning from, from the way that you show up? from people that are not in the room. That's a really good one. That's a really good one. Thank you for that. Petrona, Shemita, Pepe, Jun. Thank you very much for, for all of this. It's just been such a pleasure to, to hear from you and to hear about how you think mm. and how you approach your work. It's really been um, a really fantastic conversation. Thank you. Um, a lot of times it's about, um, it's not always about, it's sometimes about access too. Like, um, so even three years old, I'm um, married. I, you know, it looks like I have my. That doesn't mean that I who has a bachelor's degree and who just have, who had a job Italian. job in a nonprofit. It was recorded in you know, Washington D.C. Older than them, our theme song uh, I think that, is like, I don't want to. I make it exist by Ellie the ten years younger than me. That the graphic design is by Bia Silva. I think that Historas is mixed and supported in part by the Arts they, Management Program at American own. University, um, be Washington, D.C. Um, um, For 50 like, years, I mean, people, the Arts people Management Program time, like, at American University may have your best interest at heart. leaders in the arts um, to change the you know, world for the better. I, 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 Find I remember out more like, at artsmanagement.american.edu. Follow us on YouTube at Historas and on Facebook and Instagram at Historas Podcast. I personally, Thank you for I don't want, and don't forget to like and subscribe or whatever. No, I don't accept that, that identity because I, um,